the way it that you talk like it ain't no thing. Okay. Bye. <laughs> well, day is just a game. So, man, why can't game movie music be this awesome today? Yeah, right. This is being recorded, isn't it? Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we've been recording for the last half an hour. Oh, okay, okay. Recording? Yeah, recording. This is Mom's Basement Podcast, episode 48. We just recorded another podcast, an hour ago edition. Yeah, well, we get to ask the que- answer the question, are you tired of listening to this shit? <laughs> yes. It's also shitty 90s music edition. Yeah. So basically... As after we got done having our discussion about, you know, naggers and their place in line for uh, our society, <laughs> we decided to say, you know, let's have a discussion about, um, you know, games that we're working on. Let's, let's start bringing back some of the oldies and the goodies. And we're going to talk about a few of our games that are in progress and, you know, basically talk about how we're going to, you know, help each other solve those problems. We're going to talk about Games Workshop. We're going to resurrect yeah. game work, Games Workshop from uh, the good old days. So how this worked is exactly what Alex said. We each take one of our games that we're working on, and we talk about it, and we try to work out the kinks in the game in real time as we, as we discuss the games. Uh, one thing I want to mention before we get started here is I know that... Don't worry, people. Don't worry... We have your games to playtest, and we're going to get to them. We took a break from playtesting people's games this week because, basically, we were burned out on playtesting games. <laughs> Whatever. I don't know. We didn't really feel like tackling one this Saturday night. But next episode, episode 38, we're going to be talking about <laughs> Dave Artman's uh, LARP system, Glass. We're going to have a discussion of that, and we're going to go back to our po- um, playtesting topical discussion style. Uh, we've just, we wanted to tackle the cultural appropriation thing for a while, and now that we got all of that bile out of our system, and we feel relieved, we got our cathar- catharsis on, uh, and we're rocking out to some cool tunes 90s. from the 90s. We decided let's record a fun podcast. What would be what would just be cool to sit around at one o'clock in the morning and talk about? And of course, because we're the most egocentric human beings on the planet, the answer was our own work, our games. Let's talk about us, motherfucker. <laughs> and so um, we're gonna do that. We're gonna talk about our games and and maybe this will be productive. You know, I find that listening to people try to solve problems in their own work and seeing how they do it helps me. No, maybe not. Maybe you'll just be like, I wish these fuckers would shut up. That's cool, too. I think that a lot of times. I'm thinking about that that about myself right now, actually, so I will. <laughs> yeah. So, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll breach the subject with uh, my okay. heavy-handed game. It's yeah, called uh, Clandestine, right. and it's a heist-based game. Well, that means the theme is heisting, is stealing shit. And basically, this was inspired by um, us playing Greg Christopher's game. And since he doesn't listen to us, I thought his game was shit, and I could improve upon it. Oh, wow. Okay. I actually thought his game was pretty cool. But so, 
Um, so it's a heist game. Tell us a little more about what the game is and how it works, and then what the fuck's wrong with it that we need to fix. The 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 idea is it it's pretty much just like the way Christopher did it, where uh, but sorry, there's. Basically, you you get a team, a max of five people because of the mechanics that I'm using, the the way to resolve things. And then there, um, every action you do builds up heat. And if you fail your actions, you build up even more heat. And the idea is that the the currency, the heat uh, system, is to help escalate the uh, the conflict by um, introducing more obstacles or uh, adding more temp- tension. Because uh, it's also a little bit of a psychological uh, idea where if people see they have like 15 chips of heat on them when other right. people have like less than that and saying the phrase, the word heat is a heist term that is used to say like, oh, shit, I, I have some I have some bad attention on me right now and something's going to happen that I'm probably not going to like. So it, right. it'll help to encourage role playing in that sort of matter. And so the problem, um, the resolution itself, I'm not having the problem with is getting to the resolution because that's a common theme that I have with a lot of my games, a lot of my game designs, is I think I have a badass resolution system, but I need help getting to it. Because uh, the resolution system right now, it's based on Texas Hold'em. Mm-hmm. It's a reverse style of Texas Hold'em, uh, where if anyone who doesn't know the game, I'll go ahead and explain it. Basically, everyone draws two cards. And um, it's just like poker in the terms of like, uh, you know, two of a kind, you know, you know, three of a kind, you know, the, the ranking of uh, what it beats what, mm. you know, that kind of thing. It's just like normal poker. But instead, you everyone draws two cards. And what ends up happening is the um, everyone bets for the first round if they want to bet because uh, they get random cards. And then after that, when everyone's done. Three cards are flipped over from the deck, and those go in the community pool. That's what it's called. And basically, mm-hmm. instead of you drawing five cards and picking the best, everyone has access to those cards that are in the community pool. Okay. Okay, and then everyone bets after that, puts down another card, everyone bets, puts down one more card, and then it's over. You bet one more time, and then it's over. So okay. the the concept of it was because Christopher's game revolved around stealing the craps mechanic and, and you know, using that because it was casino related, Texas mm. Hold'em is a very popular uh, betting game and it's used in some casinos. So I thought, um, and even though a heist game doesn't always revolve around casinos, that a casino based style game would be would be helpful. And I didn't want to just flat out just take Texas Hold'em. So instead of have, and plus the way it's designed, it's designed to, um, it's designed for betting purposes, not for uh, role playing purposes. Mm. And uh, the way I the way I decided to do it was um, the the modifications I made to it was instead of everyone drawing two cards, everyone draws three cards, except for the GM. Okay. The GM draws two cards because um, everyone's fighting against him basically in order to, for the heat meter. And, um, yeah, yeah. yeah, but what happens is no one can see each other's hand. That's, that's the rule because the idea is that in a heist, uh, the reasons why things go bad is because no one knows what they're, what the other person's doing in the middle of the, of the middle of the action. Okay. Like, like there are the, some of the character classes you can pick 
can allow you to see what's going on in your opponents in one of your allies' hands. Right. But um, in general, that's the basic rule: is that you don't right. get to see what you, you know you can't say what you have and you can't show what you have. Things go bad because you haven't coordinated well with your other teammates. Exactly. That's usually how those heist things go bad in the movies and in real life. Um, so what happens is one person like is chose as the the initial person who starts, and they take one of the cards in their hands and puts it in the community pool. Then everyone does their act, but when you put the card down, you describe how you start the 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 scene. And then what happens after that is the person next to them, you know, goes in rotation just like um like normal Texas Hold'em works, and. Mm-hmm. Everyone does their abilities if they want to activate them, like, you know, their one-off abilities of what that person did. And then the next person in line throws down their card. And they choose, like, either help or hurt the scene. They describe what they're doing in that moment. And then for the third phase, the rest of the people drop their cards all at once. Oh, okay. Oh, I see. So it's a a reversal on the order. And I did that on on purpose because I wanted the... um, because basically the way most of those most actions work when it comes to group oriented tasks is right. one person does something then the person the right hand man does something in response and then the rest of the goonies they go oh shit they're doing something and then they drop they start doing their things in response mm. that's usually how group based activities work if they're not right. coordinated and I wanted to put that in the game, so it, it, it kind of works thematically in terms of the trying to tell a story of random shit happening and they're trying to steal something. But the problem that I'm getting at is I don't know, because it's a mixture of a role-playing game and a card game, I, wanted, I, I need help in terms of getting to the team group, of, of, of starting up that mechanic. Because when I tried it myself with... Uh, with only one player because um, the game is meant for up to five people, but right. it's getting to that number. Like, cause you're not always going to have five people with you in a game and I don't right. want to make one right. game that's designed for only this many people. And that's it because that's just dumb design. Cause it's, it, it's, it's niche within a niche right. and that's kind of a bad way to promote any game. But when it comes to single player activities, how to resolve that style of mechanic without um so how to handle a game that okay it's basic mechanics are you make a five card hand with five players holding one card right and the way that they play their cards affects how everything resolves yeah right but ultimately you end up with a five card hand in the end like with texas hold exactly now, are some cards, are these five cards in hand, five hidden cards plus three on the table, or? It's, it's well, it, it, each player draws three cards, and they give up one of their own three cards and puts it in the community pool. Oh, I see. Okay, okay. So it works, it, it works exactly like Texas Hold'em, but instead of you, instead of the five cards on top of the deck being the community right. pool, uh, right. there's a variable. Oh, I see. So oh, you get okay. some control over the community pool. So instead of it being, like you said, two cards in hand and and the five cards that just happen to be on the top of the deck, you 
you each get three, and then each of the five players picks one of those three and lays it on the table. And now the cards on the table. Uh, now, now, how do what does that dig, it? Um, what does that do? I mean, does that decide success, failure? Does it add things to scenes? Does it like you mentioned abilities triggering? I'm just trying to get a sense of how the mechanics work in play exactly. Okay, well, the way it works is. The idea is like when you put a card down, you have to describe what you're doing, and that's just to help. Okay. That's just to help form the scene, without right. saying outside of the game. Let's form the scene and then act this out. Right. It's trying to meld those two things together because I I don't really like games that tell you to frame a scene first and then act it out because it kind of the immersion isn't there. Um, right. Yeah. So I thought that would be the best way to do it in terms of getting people committed to the action, um, but. The abilities and such, basically what happens is after somebody drops something and does their their action uh, of, like, you know, drops their card down and says what they're going to do, everyone has a few moments of, uh, you know, if they want to activate, let's say, I want to see the first player's hand. Like, that may be one of their abilities. And then they can act out how they see their hand because their hand basically is like their intentions, like their skill, right. their blah, blah, blah. So you can kind of manipulate it how you want right, to approach right. it. Oh, I see. Because now, it doesn't mean that – like, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Will. No, I was going to ask, does uh, you know, the value of the card end, uh, have an impact on how effective your ability is? It only does in the sense that once you have – once you get to the end scene – Mm-hmm. Um, and you compare your hand with the GMs because they have the same pool as everyone else does in the community pool. Okay. That could say, okay, the GM got a full house because everyone contributed enough cards to get his thing, and everyone lost to the GM because of that. Oh, I see. I see. Okay, so uh, the the moving around of cards then is all... You use your abilities in order to improve your chances of beating the GM when the scene ends, and how and how that hand of Hold'em resolves decides whether the scene ends favorably or unfavorably for your characters. Mm-hmm. And there would presumably be multiple hands over the course of the game, but each scene has a hand. Yeah, and and more and. and... If one person loses, it doesn't mean the rest of the team loses. It just means that okay. specific person loses. And that's why the uh, people who lose against the GM gain additional heat compared to the people who win. Oh, okay. I got you. Oh, okay. And that's that's the skinny of it right now. But because right now, that works perfectly when you have five people and then the <laughs> GM. But <laughs> when it gets lower than that, there's issues of narrating the scenes and there's also issues of like you know the card drop, right? Narrating the scenes because not as many cards are being played, so the scenes get shorter or they get less complicated. Mm-hmm. And the problem with the drop is that either it's going to be too random, meaning you just fill in all the remain all the missing cards off the top of the deck for the community pool, or you're going to have people with too many cards in their hands. Yeah, and then they can manipulate the community pool to a much. much greater degree. Too much, uh, yeah. Hmm. 
Because um, I have an option that I was thinking about, but I wasn't fully okay. confident on it. The the thing that I was thinking about was um, was was changing up the um, if there's lower amount of players, it was changing up the randomness, uh, like you know the the cards in your hand. Like the way I did it the first time when there was only one player with me, mm. it was pretty much a solo RPG edition of right. it. Was that I pretty much had it to where, um, was I just flipped over the cards? Like you know he contr- like I I uh, I did an uncontrolled flip where it was just from the deck where one right. card was flipped over, and then he flipped his card over, and then I just drew the other the last three. Okay. So you just took three off the top of the deck, then. Exactly. Where pretty much I just I just skipped some turns and made those random, pure random, right. instead of having another player put their con- contribution into it. Did that? Oh, okay. Did that have a negative effect on the game? Did you feel like it the it resolved in too random way? There wasn't enough strategy, or? Well, I think it didn't really work too well because there was less framing of like what was being actually done in the moment. Because there was less people contributing their portion of the card drops, they weren't right. they weren't saying like what they were doing, mm. and yeah. so there was more reliance upon me describing uh, what was happening in the middle of all this stuff. Mm. Like but the person were... would, sorry, the person would drop their card and say, "I do right. this," and then after that, I would have to make up the entire of what happened afterwards. Okay, so there, but there wasn't a problem with the cards being too random or anything. It wasn't a strategic problem. It was a, a scene structure type of problem where since you've had it have it set up so that whenever someone drops a card into the community pool, they narrate. There wasn't enough narrating going on, or it was all you doing the narrating. Yeah, it was all me doing the narration, and that can make it a little difficult since I wasn't focused on having it to where it was me doing a lot of the narration. Right. Well, I mean. For the cards that come right off the top of the deck, why don't you alternate? Like, the first card that comes off the top of the deck, you narrate, Second, or the GM narrates. Second card that comes off the top of the deck, the player narrates. Just like it had come from their hands. Hmm, okay. Yeah, that, that could work. I was also thinking maybe you could have, like, a... Uh like a table or something that tells you, depending on what cards you get... As it helps, it gives the DM like help framing. Yeah. But I don't know if, how easy that would be to make. Yeah, because in some ways that could be a little more limiting, and it could stall yeah. them for a little for a few seconds. Because like yeah. I was think, because I, I mean we there is a game that's already that we're getting ready to re, uh, to review and play test, and one of them involves using different symbols, like the the diamonds mean something, the yeah. spade means right. something. And I don't know if I want to go that in depth because there could be a moment in the scene where it's like, I don't want to care about that moment right now. I just want to continue what I wanted to say for this scene. Mm-hmm. And so I feel a little indifferent about that. Mm-hmm. Well, what if the value on the card means something kind of abstract having to do with like how lucky they feel or how fortunate they feel at the moment you know, or how confident they feel? Which could have a major effect since their confidence, you know, they might lay down a queen and be and be overconfident. Their character could feel really confident, but that queen could end up giving the the GM like that full house you mentioned. So you could have a situation where how the if 
the character's level of it's the character's feeling of confidence is dictated by the cards he plays where you have a character acting really smug and then he gets fucked which would be kind of cool and it kind of that kind of gets at the way those heist movies feel like everyone's like yeah everything's going according to plan and then shit or people think oh no everything's really unraveling and then something lucky happens you know because it seems like the psychology of the characters is a big part of that Mm mm-hmm you know, how they feel in the moment. Okay. Well, actually, yeah, that actually works uh, quite a bit there. Rudy, do you have something you want to say about that one? No, no, I was just going to say that the uh, the, the alternating thing sounds good. Okay. Because I, I, I wasn't thinking of the of that for the, um, in terms of, like, you know, like the... Uh, the confidence kind of thing, like, with, the, like, the actual value of the single card by itself. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the alternating thing when it was kind of like what I was thinking of doing just for like, for low, you know, for low numbers of, of players was alternating mm. between the deck and other, and other players if they were there right? with one right. being the most difficult one to do because <laughs> there's only, there's only one, one guy, yeah. one guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But other than that, it, the, the value could really be useful for, um, yeah. For like their motivation of like, okay, I'm gonna do this action, but I feel really shaky about this because I just dropped down to five. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So the, j- by accident, you threw in another idea that actually seems pretty good. But um, the 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 reason why I was I made that comparison with you know Christopher's game mm-hmm. was that because there wasn't enough emotional pull in the game mm-hmm. uh, because it was just one roll dice roll and that's it. And right, right. I, I really felt that heist movies are all about the psychological aspect, you know, about the, uh, you know, I don't, right. <laughs> I'm not sure this is going to really work. And my allies are, are responsible for making sure this fails or succeeds or, you know, in terms of helping it. And I thought this would be a much better mechanic because it delays, yes, uh, it baits right. people so much in each scene. Right. Yeah. Right. And I agree with that. So much of heist movies are about pacing. It's about drawing out the scene to make the, the audience feel tense. You know, you feel the tension when you're not sure what that next card flip is going to be. And when you see this and when you're watching it, you know, when you're watching a heist movie and you know that character A has no idea that character B has just started, saw the guards headed to the vault and he's trapped in the vault with his blowtorch and you're like what's gonna happen now you really don't get that feeling of tension from chucking some dice because you know bam oh that's what it is you know that's what happened you get an an instant solution you know you get instant resolution and prolonged uh almost teasing resolution is a big part of heist movies and i think this does that well all right well then that's my only problem oh sorry rudy go ahead Oh no, go ahead. I was going to say that's all. That's pretty much my only problem with the game because I have everything else set up like character classes and all that stuff, but it's just framing the scene a little better. And you know, my my initial concern was in terms of initiating the team. You know, the teamwork that doesn't seem like it's going to be that much of a problem because it's just like, all right, I I got done role playing this moment. Let's do a team event. You know, that kind of thing. That's right. what I was thinking. That that was my initial concern, but I don't think that's. As much as a problem as I think it is. Now, how do the uh, are there any like mechanics for um, 
like social like the social connections between the different characters or mm. because that's a big part of heist movies i understand it well basically the way i was i had it set up right now it's it's very basic uh, but I was, i'm going to flesh it out a little bit more where basically each uh, each character can pick a class of like a certain like uh, you know specialization that's famous in the heist movies and uh, right. each one has an effect in the community pool uh, but in terms of like friendships, like you know, like out, yeah, you like know, inner character stuff. In terms of actual friendships, I don't really have much to it. The way I was thinking about doing it was that they can reveal one card from their hand to each other, and that's it. Mm. Oh yeah. What about the mole? Oh, <laughs> you know, there's yeah. always the mole, and well, there's also always the love interest. Well, yeah, I mean, there, there, there's always the traitor. There's always the, because um, like the mole could be like a guy who's just meant to sabotage the thing, or there could be the guy right. who's the traitor who's meant to take all the money for himself. Right, right. And the way I was thinking about that is, uh, for, in terms of the mole thing, is either you can pick it, or um, it could be like a like a random die roll off. I'm thinking more along the lines of picking it, but it's a secret pick. Right, right, yeah. That way, uh, no one knows about it, and I would love that moment in a game, where a la you know Dark Knight, where everyone's right. the traitor, <laughs> yeah. and they all try and kill each other at the end of it. Huh. I wonder how you would randomize that because I was going to say, well, if you have one traitor, then you take the Joker and you take however many cards there. You know, you take the number of players. A number of cards equal to the number of players minus one, and then shuffle a joker into that, and then whoever gets the joker is the mole. But if you want multiple moles, and you don't want to know how many there are, I wonder how you do that with a deck of cards. Okay. I mean, you could do that with a if you uh, say that the jack makes you a traitor, and then you deal a hand. Um, you know, you deal everyone one card or two cards from a full deck, and then you could have zero traders or you or zero moles, or you could have four moles. Or, or oh, wait yeah. a minute, what if it's done in each scene? Hmm. As in, like, if you drew at the three cards, if you drew a joker, or I mean, a jack or something like that, that means that you did something that could hurt the team. Oh, that's a good idea. And if you play a jack, which is interesting because a jack is a high card, so it will help you win. Mm. Mm-hmm. But if you play it, you also have to betray your team in some way. And maybe not a big way, you know, maybe you don't have to, like, reveal that you've been fucking them all along. But you have to do something that undermines them and benefits you. Yeah, it could be something selfish. It could be, like, right. an actual betrayal where instead of saying, like, Instead of instead of it being like um, like oh I'm nervous I'm about to get caught I'm going to throw a rock in that direction where my allies are it, right. it, it could be something like that or it could be something along the lines of I'm going to try and steal this diamond but I forgot that it's protected by lasers you know by by guided you know oh I see so just like a fuck up yeah I, I think it could be like a good like a fuck up I mean fuck ups are kind of handled in the rules already though mm-hmm. meaning that when you lose to the GM you fuck up and you catch heat. I almost feel like the jack thing should be some kind of selfish act because okay. that gets at what the jack yeah. is, right? Mm-hmm. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a big selfish act. It could be a little selfish act, you know, that just screws them a little. 
Okay. But it should be that moment when you put yourself above the team. Because that <laughs> moment happens a lot in heist movies, and it seems important. Okay. Yeah. No, I, I like that. Now, heat. You mentioned there's a way you can lose heat, which is the uh, catchphrase, or is that what it's called? Yeah, but when you say it, you write down what your catchphrase is, because every heist movie, every character has some sort of, like, thing that they love to say. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. um, it could be, uh, like, I'm too old for this shit. It could <laughs> yeah. be, um, like, I you know, ain't going be, back to jail. I ain't going <laughs> back to jail. Or um, it could be, like, um, like in Die Hard when, uh, you know. Kaye, motherfucker. Yeah, exactly. All of them have some sort of catchphrase that they are used to make the scene cooler or, like, you know, to kind of, like, blow off their own tension. Right. Um, and so I think that every time you say your catchphrase in the when you narrate the scene, like, you should be able to lose a heat. But I didn't want to have it to where you can use it every single time. Mm-hmm. I was thinking, like, after you lose a match... You know, lose lose again, uh, lose with the, against the GM. You you you're allowed to say it again, but mm. I'm not, I'm right. I think I want to give it more freedom after that. Right. Because mm-hmm. I like the concept of saying like you know like uh, in GoldenEye when Boris just yells I'm invincible after something, <laughs> where he almost right. dies in the situation, and he gets up you know sh- you know his shoulders and just goes I am invincible. Right. <laughs> You know things like that. Like, I have a, I have a, a basic form of how it's done. But like, what do you think I could do with that? Yeah, I CM. think that. Well, is the game designed to be one session and then it's over? Or is it designed to be yeah. played over multiple sessions? It's pretty much a one shot because most heist movies don't really go after. Like, right. Their version of multiple sessions is just going to a new place and doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. that's how most heist movies are like ocean right. movies 11 12 and 13 were not the same heist movie you know same heist going on at the same uh, uh, you know all throughout all three movies they right. were separate heists right that were related in the story well if it's supposed to stand alone then i think you want a mechanic that's going to get them to say their catchphrase about three times in a session okay and I mean, I don't know if you want to literally limit it to three uses or something, because you don't really want them to blow their load all at once, you know. But you okay. want three catchphrases. Uh, and, and the last time they use it, it should have some kind of negative consequence, too. <laughs> because, of course, the last time <laughs> Boris says, I am invincible, he isn't, you know. Yeah. <laughs> That's so true. Uh, I'm glad you caught that, because. <laughs> uh, so yeah, you're just thinking just a limitation, and like, if you use it too many times, there's like just a little a little punishment, but it's not right. that big of a deal. Right. Okay. Yeah. I I I almost think that when it maybe if you had some kind of random element, like when they say it, so that. Nine times out of ten when they say it or whatever, they lose heat. But mm. then there's always a chance that instead of losing heat, something really dire happens to them. Mm. And maybe that probability increases every time they use it. Oh, I got it. I was thinking about because I don't I'm not normally having the Joker in the um, the Joker card itself. I'm not I, I wasn't planning on having that in the actual deck. Right. But what I'm thinking is 
have the two Joker cards by themselves off to the side, and every mm-hmm. time they want to use the, the 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 catchphrase, they have a stock number of like you know let's say six cards. So it's six cards plus the Joker. Shuffle it, pick your card. Right. And if you draw the Joker, it goes horrible for you. But if you draw the other cards, it goes just fine. Right. But you remove a card from the pile. Then. Exactly. So the next time he does it, right. you have five cards oh, plus the Joker. Yes. Yeah. Four yeah, that, that seems like it could work pretty well. I, I think that's a great idea. I would just start with five cards instead of six. Yeah, five I was just given a num- I was given a random number. That's all. Right. I just say five because that's a traditional poker hand. Yes. Mm. <laughs> there you go. Now it's now it's relating back to the theme, to about the, both the game and the theme. Right. <laughs> Overall, I think that's pretty much everything. That's on like you know what do I need to do? Because mm. yeah, because. If people are by themselves doing solo actions, that's usually not going to happen too much, and that can just be role-played out instead of, like, handled mechanically. Right. Well, now, what's the end game like? Is there a... Like, is there... Like, are there different win conditions for different people or different classes? Well, the way I was thinking about doing it, like, th- that could be a, a solution to it, but the way I was thinking is there's, like, a certain number of scenes you do, and then at the last scene... Um, you're done. Like, however you complete it, you're just done because you may not be able to complete your task mm. uh, in oh, terms of stealing something, but you're, you're able to escape alive at least. Right. That's the way I was doing Where Where it's kind, of, it's kind of structured. Like, you know, first scene would be you guys planning everything. Second scene, would you, be, would you guys be, like, you know, getting in, in, in position? Third, th- third scene would be breaching, fourth scene blah 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 until you get to the last one that's what yeah. i was thinking where it was a certain number of scenes and each scene is labeled so that way there's clear uh, instructions on how to narrate the story while playing mm. the game mm. okay what do you think of that yeah that sounds cool so there's no like win conditions or anything like that well i mean in theory the win condition other is you a... stealing shit but right other than escape alive and shit that's pretty much the only win condition is get out of there alive. If, if, if you're able to do yeah. that, you win. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, is there a way to... Uh, do the mechanics have a way to describe... Or, excuse me, decide when it's time to make the escape? You know, when it's time to make that final heist and, and get out of there? Or is that just something that's up to G, uh, the GM's judgment? Well, based on how I was uh, structuring the scene uh, steps... It was going to be, I, I thought it was going to be pretty obvious, like how, how long you need to go. But I understand some people like to stretch out that one section of the scene, like, you know, of the, of the whole story arc. Instead of just going one, we're done, two, we're done, three, we're done. They might right. want to play multiple uh, rounds in that for yeah. that one scene. So that, that, makes... that will be a little difficult to determine, like, what's the best way to do it. Mm. I mean... Overall, it would probably be one of those things where I say to the GM, okay, you have this many this many rounds in all the scenes period mm-hmm. and you need to include one scene you need to include one round of you know playing the actual card game in every scene. After that, oh, you have okay. this many bonus ter- you know times you can do it to help flesh out scenes. Right. Right. Yeah, and I mean, there's nothing wrong with leaving some things up to the GM, you know, saying, well, you know, decide when is best, you know, to say, 
you know, as a GM, you probably have a good idea how things are moving forward and what, whether or not your players want this to be concluded quickly or stretched on for a while and, yeah. you know, make your own judgments. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think, though, overall, it would be a good idea to put that as an optional rule, as in, like, yeah. how many scenes, but say, ultimately, like, if you think it goes longer, go longer. I just right. think it would be a good idea to have an actual answer. That way, yeah, I agree. That way, if people want to just play a normal game, in quotes, they, they can mm-hmm. without having to stretch it on for four hours long. That's true. That's true. Yeah, and so they have some sense of what the pacing of the game not necessarily should be, but what it could be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. Yep, and that's it. Okay. Um, Rudy, what game what did about, you want? Oh, sorry. What about your game. My game? Yeah. Uh, I I, I was supposed to have a game, guys. <laughs> no, I okay. I. So I have this game idea that I've been kicking around for a little while. I think I mentioned it back on episode. 35 was Misery? No, no, 30... What 32, was, I think. What was the plea for help one? Is that 32? That's like 31 or 32. 31, 31. 32. 32 31. is me. The introduction. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. That's right. So I, I mentioned this on 31. It was one of the games that was going to be in the hypothetical uh, Misery Tourism Games published collection. That is now gradually being added to the misery tourism website and it was the most unfinished of those games basically so i don't know i have this little obsession with with the personal neuroses and like life problems of fantasy authors <laughs> and, and, and speculative fiction authors. Like, I really don't want to read Robert E. Howard's Conan stories, like, at all. I have no desire to read read them. I just don't want to. But I, I am. But I, I couldn't read the Wikipedia article about how he put a gun and gun upside his head and blew his brains out after his mother died. Like, I could read that forever. I could just keep reading that. There's something so fascinating about the fact that a man who writes these stories about this big burly barbarian who gets all the women that he could ever want and, like, goes and fights magicians in the jungle or whatever the fuck Conan does. You know, there's something fascinating about the fact that a man who writes stories like that could have one girlfriend his whole life, spend his whole life living with his mother, and after his mother dies, say, oh, there's nothing left to live for. At 30-some years old, I'm going to blow my brains out. Yep. <laughs> oh, and and not, to men- not to forget, failing to kill himself and having it drag on for several hours. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah, he actually lived in, like in an, an hour. In almost an unglorious way, the, his, his books were written. Right, yeah. and having that one girlfriend cheat on him with another writer who was a good friend of his. <laughs> How I mean, ironic. The man, <laughs> the man who wrote the stories about this this larger-than-life, like, unbelievably powerful masculine being was such a monumental loser in reality. It was something... 
I don't know, there's something great about that that reaffirms everything I'd like to think about <laughs> about the world. <laughs> but anyway, getting to the game, I just really wanted to do a game that is these fantasy authors sitting around trying to create their work but having it interrupted by like the sad reality of their lives and their personal neuroses and their mental illnesses <laughs> and I, I mean i had this thing that i like to do back when uh when rudy and i would run random campaigns whenever i could i would um i i, I would uh shoehorn in my robert my shitty robert jordan impression where he vacillates between trying to describe like the intricate patterns on women's socks and talking about how henpecked he is and how his wife is his <laughs> wife and editor is like this oppressive force in his life and of course he never says it directly he'll, he'll weave it into things but i don't know there's just something about robert jordan that makes me think that and about the like content of his work all the stuff that seems like feminist on the surface but then it's like you know the iron fist of women oppressing men and it's like oh, what's going on here it's all that stuff when you read about read someone's work or read about their work and say huh there's something going on with him right now you know some bit of himself is slipping in here something he doesn't want you to see is showing up and i wanted a game that did that where you get to play as your favorite fantasy authors at their worst <laughs> yeah well what i was yeah. thinking there when when you're talking about that kind of thing i was thinking not in terms of like um picking an author because right. that it, it makes the barrier to entry very difficult because mm. you'll actually have to know about those authors in order and right. you have to admire and want to you know actually right. know who the hell they are so already it's niche within niche what right. I was thinking of is taking the concept, the you know the uh, the the trope of authors almost having um, the opposite lives of what they write, right? And yeah. playing on that, I'm thinking that would be the best way to kind of play that game because you don't have you can choose outside of the game to pick right. somebody that you know, like it could be like Robert Christian or whatever, you know, the Jurassic Park dude. Right. Um, it could be right. like somebody like that. Like you kind of know a little bit about him because of like some article you read or something like that, and you could pretend to be him for the game. But right. ultimately, it should make it to where you don't even have to know a damn thing about authors. Well, you just need to know. You just need to know the premise of what usually authors are, and then play with that notion. Right. And yeah, and you should be able to do that. One thing I was thinking of to get over that burial barrier to entry is how, doing it almost, I don't want to say Lady Blackbird, because I don't really like a lot of the Lady Blackbird design that much. Mm -hmm. And I don't really like John Harper as a person very much, honestly. I kind of <laughs> dislike him. <laughs> but but anyway, that all of that aside, I, I but I mean, I wanted, one thing that I do like about Lady Blackbird is that it gives you pre-constructed characters that in just a few words kind of explain how to play them mm -hmm. yeah. and, and that's something i was thinking of is give players 
I had it narrowed down to a field of six different fantasy authors and a sort of pre-constructed character sheet for them that explains what their neuroses are and what their abilities are and how they work, function, and play. And so you can pick your favorite fantasy author. And I, it was going to be pretty broad. Um, so I, I was going to have um, something for everyone, all different genres. I was going to have Howard in there, obviously. Uh, Robert Jordan, as I mentioned, dealing with uh, <laughs> dealing with his issues, with, with his marital issues. Um, H.P. Lovecraft and his crazy, demented racism. <laughs> uh, Tolkien, who I think, I think you we underestimate just how fucked up Tolkien was <laughs> in some ways. I think he was hiding a lot, and I think that what reveals this is that you've probably never looked at the collection of his letters the collected letters of Tolkien, but there, everything that had, all the letters from when he was involved in the First World War are omitted from the collection. And the, um, the biographer who, who put the, the collection together, the scholar who put the collection together basically says, well, you know, these letters are too personal and they don't really have to do with his work. <laughs> and you think, what's in those letters? What happened to him? Because it's that that need to look back at this kind of better primordial reality, you know, before the war world was fucked up and shattered, runs through all of his work. Yeah. And you wonder, what is it that happened in World War One that 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 did that to him? But anyway, so you have um, those four. Plus, I wanted Mary Shelley in there, so that there would, first of all be someone who really gets at that gothic fiction thing but also uh, also so there would be the option to play a female character oh i i, I was hoping you didn't say the token woman to, to be in the uh, i i think yeah i mean it it is that in some ways but really mary shelley is also really fascinated i mean she elopes with this much older man against her father's wishes she ends up having a miscarriage that devastates her she herself, uh, when she's born, her birth kills her mother. Her mother dies in childbirth, and she's carrying that around with her. And all of that is wrapped up in Frankenstein. And I thought that, so there's a really odd, interesting, neurotic person. And then number six, I can't remember number six. You say Carol already? Lewis Carroll. <laughs> Lewis Carroll, high-functioning yeah, I mean... pedophile. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what can you say about him? I mean, who, who basically writes um, Alice's Adventures in Wonderland as a love note to his 13, 11, 12, 13-year-old girlfriend, right? Yeah, I think 11. <laughs> yeah. And what's going on there? But, so, the first problem i had though with this concept that's what i wanted to do i wanted to get all these these somewhat demented authors together in a room and give them a way to show their worst sides but i said how, how do you do that you know how do you get all these people from different time periods together and you know interacting with each other in an interesting way 
And <clears throat> the concept I came up with, and I don't know if I'm going to keep this necessarily, but the, the idea I came up with is, have you seen that shitty Robert Robin Williams the, the Robin Williams movie, What Dreams May Come? No. Yeah. Where he dies and he goes to heaven and his kids die and they go to heaven. And heaven is basically what you imagine it to be, you know, and it, it's, it's an expression of like all the things you wanted in life. But it, it's 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 a function of your head. It's a function of your psychology. Right. So imagine what dreams may come. But like <laughs> there's a research like heaven becomes overpopulated. Right. So, you know, there's, even heaven has to have limited resources, right? No. Nah. So, well, let's say it does. Yeah, there <laughs> we go. That's the real answer. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so let's say heaven gets overpopulated, and so they can't afford to, keep, to give everyone their own private, personal heaven generated by their own psychology. <laughs> so... What they decide is, well, let's take people who have similar interests and throw, and group them together. Okay. And so they decide, hey, you know, all these these guys all wrote speculative fiction. They'll get along. So you have these fantasy authors who, who, who are all dead and who have been living for who knows how many hundred years in their own masturbatory, self-created fantasy reality with just themselves and now they're all thrown in together and they have to work together and they have to work with each other and get along with each other in order to create one collective reality like everyone gets to throw in now and everyone has to work together and no one gets to have the world just their way and of course, this is a disaster because all of these people have a very specific idea about like what fantasy fiction, what speculative fiction is supposed to be. And they all have vastly different visions. So they end up bickering with each other and they end up fighting with each other. And since they've been spending the last few millennia in complete self-indulgence, the part of themselves that has been switched off, the terrible part of themselves, the stuff that they've been indulging in all this fantasy to escape, has been, um, you know, they've lost all of those mechanisms that they used to control that part of themselves because they didn't have to. So now that part of themselves is out of control while they bicker and fight with each other. But the, the problem is, how do you represent that mechanically? Like, how do you represent basically people bickering for control over the narrative mechanically? I got an idea. Okay. Now, the only problem is you're going to have to change up the initial concept because when I was <laughs> thinking, no, no, I'm not talking about in terms of the heaven thing. They're already dead. I was thinking the best way to do it huh? would be to pretend that they're all alive on, you know, on earth but they want but they are contracted all together to make one complete book of all the authors because of how popular they are so they've been sort of uh so they collect them with a time machine or something and then I, I don't one. care how they do it cuz i know they're from different time periods but just huh. say that they're all in the same room that and because 
Because the reason why is the way I was thinking of that concept right. of yours was that they all have their own personal take on how the book needs to be written by each scene, by each like chapter. Right. And right. what I'm saying is you guys should have the uh, like you should have the point where you fight over it, like of what should be in there, and like yeah. you have your cues of like what each author believes and what they do outside of that table discussion of how the chapter should be done is they all write their they, they all write their sections of each chapter and they all read each other out loud what they're going to do for their chapter and each person has their own agenda of how the book should work so they write mm. letters to the editors to manipulate the chapters into what they think it should be done See, I like the idea of having them work together on a single work of fiction, and that gets rid of the kind of convoluted what dreams may come heaven thing. Like, like some time traveler grabs them all and makes them, and like, locks them in a room and makes them work together. Uh, I don't know about them. I mean, almost, maybe if you also had scenes where you have to act out what's going on in the fiction, mm. you know, uh, with each player take each kind of meta where you, you're playing as Tolkien, playing as someone in the fiction, trying to use his agency over that character to drag the fiction in his direction. Oh, okay, Whereas, so your manipulation, like you're like what I was talking about in terms of like having the editor mess with it. Right. You want them to be the editor in the middle of the chapter creation. Right. And that way you get some actual role playing going on. You know, you get some because what I wanted was you to have chances to hear on one hand these characters monologue about their problems, but mm. also have chances to see them in some way performing their fiction. Because mm -hmm. that's an integral mm. part of it too, right? You want to see that you don't want to play a game about Tolkien that is just him bitching about World War One. You right. want to play a game about Tolkien bitching about World War One and trying to get over it by writing, creating fantasy fiction that looks like Tolkien fantasy fiction, you know? Okay. And you want to see Robert Jordan bitching about his wife, but also trying not to bitch about his wife by writing 30 pages about, you know, a woman's dress or something <laughs> or, or and, and you and you also want to see all of that coming into conflict as they jockey for control of the narrative mm -hmm. right. and i want this to be a gm-less game because i don't want there to be some ultimate authority over the fiction the idea is they've got no one to lean back on and they got to work this out with themselves between themselves really where are you thinking about this one because I, I, I wanted I wanted you to say something because I want to refine what I was talking about, but let's get your thought on it first. Yeah, see, I'm not really sure how you could. I mean, you need to have some way to have shared narrative authority, right? But like a token system or something like that doesn't seem really right mm. for it. Or like you, it all seems like there should be kind of like a. Um, like a pass the stick type thing where you you each get your time because that's important too that they each actually get to do their shit right right but also to have the ability to steal the stick somehow right exactly because if it's just pass the stick 
then everyone knows they're going to get their chance. But you want to yeah. jockey for control over the stick. You want to own the stick. Right. Yeah, see, I'm trying to think. I'm thinking of children's games and trying to think of which ones. <laughs> oh, I guess. I think I got something here. Um, well, I want, I want to talk about my, my thing I wanted to refine for a second here. Was what? Like, it sounds like you want it to be like an internal game instead of an external one. Because I was thinking along the lines of basically using their actual problems in real life and having that like get in the way or, or like in help manipulate writing that one novel, that one uh, um, collaborative work of the best authors in the world, you know, kind of thing. And oh, to making the. What? So you mean like Robert Jordan's actual wife? Harriet Jordan would show up and try to meddle with the work or something, try to edit her, it'd be his editor, you know, and it would cause problems for him. Is oh, that what you're saying? Those could be the, 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 the letters that I was talking about the, the in terms of editing stuff. Right. It could be their their rivals, the reasons why they are fucked up right. in their real life. Those are the things that are getting in the way of the actual story. Right. But you're saying that the way the game would be played would be someone or something from their real lives would actually interject itself into the scene. Exactly, and another player um, could play that uh, person. See, hmm. I really... Huh. See, what I was thinking was, I like... See, I really want to get at that unreliable narrator thing. Okay. Like, maybe this isn't... Maybe these things... Like, it's about their perspective of what hap- on what happened to them, right? Because maybe just using... Poor Robert Jordan. He probably had a great like relationship with his wife. But I always, when I read his stuff, I always. <laughs> but I mean, I, I I want there to be the opportunity for the other people at the table to think maybe this was really Robert Jordan's problem. You know, maybe his wife was fine, and maybe right. there's something. You know, to have it to never objectively see what happened to them. You know, right. to never objectively see what happened to Tolkien in World War One. To just hear it from his own mouth. Right. Oh, yeah, because what I was... Cause I, I see what you're getting at here, and like the only thing that I was... that It feels like it's going severely deep for him. And um, in terms of trying to actually discuss um, the scenes at hand. And I wanted... Like, from just from hearing it, I personally was like a little more... Um, you know, back and forth between yeah. like the actual life and the situation at hand. Right. Well, I don't want it to be deep form in the sense that I want there to be real social and mechanical competition going on. Exactly. And and although there are some sort of competitive deep form games, but I want the game to really be grounded in that sense of mechanical competition. And I want the mechanics to be primarily social mechanics. Hmm. It can be. I see what you're saying. So, like, um, ultimately, you pretty much just want to um, have the person act out in the way that they think the author was, and like, you know, have other people kind of go like, "Wow, that I, I really didn't think of the author in that way." Like, what, what, what are you trying to? have other people gain in the experience okay well i gotta answer there were kind of two questions there and i'll try exactly the first question what do you which was what do you want people to be doing like how do you want people to be playing 
I want basically three kinds of play here. One kind of play would be the moments when the authors monologue. Because I want there to be like, you know, where they give monologues that are, where they basically almost, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Where they almost filibuster the game by talking Mm. about their own shit, their problems, right? Two, I want there to be scenes that are directly inspired by the author's fiction, where you in some way play out that fiction, and also in some way play out that author's fiction coming in conflict with the other author's fiction. Mm-hmm. And three, I want there, there to be jockeying for narrative control going on, both in and out of character. And I want the difference between that to be kind of seamless. Like in-character jockeying and out-of-character jockeying, almost they're happening at the same time and they almost feel like the same thing. So that's how I want play to feel. That's what I want to be happening in play. What was the second half of your question? What do I want people to get out of it? Uh, yeah. I want people to... I want people to feel the way they feel well, I want two things out of it. First of all, I want people to feel the way they feel when they read about Britney Spears and tabloid, <laughs> except instead of Britney Spears getting drunk and like, you know, not wearing panties, it's, um, you know, it's Robert E. Howard has a rough breakup with his girlfriend and shoots himself. You know, I want that same vicarious kind of tabloid feel. Like, so I, I want it to be something that takes these takes these people off their pedestal, right. and in the process takes their work off the pedestal. Hmm. All right. But I also, the second thing is, I want to humanize these people, and by extension, to humanize their work, because their work is so inhuman so anti-human so for detached in most cases from humanity that <laughs> i want you to see the humanity that is really there hiding in their work so that's mm-hmm. what i want people to think and feel when they play the game all right um my first thought because I, I i almost had like an aha moment like as we were as, mm-hmm. we were, as you were talking about that right. of, like, of like how you want kind of like the game to play is that what I was thinking is you the way you get your monologue sessions in there yeah. is the person starts talking about their book, like their their chapter of the book. Okay. Because like they're they're you know, let's say that like they're all six people are having their pitch meeting, mm-hmm. and what they do is that one when that person starts like basically their turn where each person has a turn narrating one chapter of like how they want the story to work. Mm-hmm. And that way everyone gets a scene in the entire game. Um, but what happens right. is one person starts their monologue and every time they add new characters into it, like let's say they have like a two character limit. Um, right. They have two characters that they get to control the entire time they're narrating the chapter. And mm-hmm. as they start introducing new characters, other authors start hijacking the chapter and mm. acting out the scene, the, the acting out the character in the way they want the to the chapter to the you know mature. 
So, like, instead of having, like, let's give that Lord of the Rings example of, like, you know, when Frodo gets the ring, they're at the council with all the other, with all the, uh, like, the, like um, with Aragorn and all that kind of people, where they say, I will go with you, you know, Fellowship of the Ring, right. that scene. Like, let's say Frodo, the guy who's uh, authoring, authoring the scene, he controls Frodo and Gandalf, because they're the main two people who talk about the ring and all that kind of stuff. Right. And then when he starts going to the other people... You know, like, you know, that you have my axe, you have my sword, you have my bow and stuff. There's another person in the scene I forget. I think I I, I don't remember the exact person's name. Actually, I think Boromir even says, you know, fuck you. You know, let's use it as... (laughs) Yeah, he does. That would be the other author imposing their their idea on how this chapter should be done. Right. I think it should be done like that. I like the idea of having a kind of character economy so that you have to pick and choose... Like, you can only control so many characters in the scene. And if you want to gain, if you want to add more, you'd have to basically give one of your pet characters up and let another player play them. Yeah. So then you have the, and let them potentially corrupt your work in some way. Exactly. So there's that kind of turnover with, uh, with characters, with characters within the work of fiction or whatever it is, the fantasy. So that you're always scrambling to maintain control over as much of the narrative as you can. But the more you do that, the more you add to the narrative, the more you lose control because the more you have to give up to other players. Yeah, I like that idea actually a lot. Yeah, that, that's my first big thought on it because uh, I don't think they, the other, the other uh, authors, when they take over a character... Uh, like you know, a new character in the scene. I don't think they should have control over the narrative in terms of like um, yeah. messing, like uh, like say I'm going to kill that main character. It, right. it, it's more like I'm going to just say something that will fuck up the situation or make an action that won't com- like uh, that will screw up what the author who who started the the chapter wanted to do. Right. Man. I also want to be there to be abilities. They're on the character sheet that give that give the um, give the different authors more agency over different parts of the story. Like mm-hmm. if something needs to be described in detail, like that would be Robert Jordan's time to step in. Yeah. Right. Or if you have a moment of like you know, identity horror or something, that's when H.P. Lovecraft tries to, gets to take over, you know, right. or when, the, you know, when, so that it's almost like looking for an opening and, and the other people, the, whoever is narrating at the moment tries not to give the other player that opening. Mm-hmm. Right. But I want there to be that on one, sort of on one side of the character sheet. And on the other side, I want their neuroses to be there too, though. So that basically you can lose narrative control if another one of the players hits one of your personal anxieties too hard. Like Mm. someone, say, mentions, you you know, uh, in some way brings up the death of a child or a failed pregnancy or something (laughs) like that while while Shelley has control of the narrative. Mm Mm-hmm. And then she could potentially lose control that way. 
because you know you've 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 done something that trips him up somehow and i want there to be that sense of so that you're encouraged to use the other players personal foibles the other authors personal foibles against them and you're all and you're also encouraged to indulge in your own authors stylistic excesses in order to keep control of the narrative right Mm. yeah going back to the character economy thing Mm. thinking it might be cool if there's some way that like the um like the other players can or the other characters can grant someone more economy for a scene Mm. so that they can uh but they but maybe they get to choose some of the parameters of the characters or something so basically they can seed characters to uh to prop their um their neuroses yeah yeah so you could almost have alliances between characters like Tolkien and Jordan are willing to work together because they can both get what they want. Tolkien can right. get a somewhat epic fantasy universe, and Robert Jordan can still get to describe women's clothes. Right. And there's no conflict there. Mm-hmm. But because both, you know, sorry, I'm yeah. sorry, but the, all those authors, some of them have similarities in between the two, and some of them are completely foreign. So alliances right. can work well. Right. And there should be. The way I wanted it to be, and this is why I picked the six I did, I wanted there to be the possibility for some of them to work well together and the possibility for some of them to really clash. Mm-hmm. And, like, I, I, I don't know. So, like, I could almost see, like, a love triangle with, like, H.P. Lovecraft and Mary Shelley and Howard, you know? And all of the, like, psychological problems that go with that. You know, yeah. once again, Shelley marrying at such a young age yeah. and having the issues she did with that marriage and Howard having the problems with his one girlfriend who cheated on him. <laughs> you know, and H.P. Lovecraft with his wife, who was also Jewish, you know, even though he was a raging anti-Semite. Yeah. You know, and, and having to deal with that, and and also, um, boy, a lot of these, a lot of these male characters have women, serious business women troubles. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because Jordan maybe too, and uh, the only one who really didn't was Tolkien, who seemed to have a very healthy relationship with his wife. But yeah. Well, if you're if you're going off that, um, like. <sighs> I really would uh, may- maybe it'd be one of those things to where um, during each chapter you declare who you're going to give trust to, and when you introduce a character, uh, that when that person takes over, uh, right. you know, um, they have to um, at least do one or two things that the uh, the original author wants, right. and that's it. And then after that, they can do whatever they want to introduce with the scene. Yeah, possibly. Well, I was thinking maybe you could, like, the author who's seen it is, they could rate somehow how the the other guy is, like, doing. Mm. Like, you know, they could give them characters, and or they could assign them characters in the narrative, and then they could somehow rate how they think that they're doing, and then that could give that person 
like more character economy points or whatever. Yeah, possibly. I mean, Actually, I, I don't know. I want them to, I want them to be able to do more than just um, evaluate it, though. I want them to be able to steal it and not just right. steal it in the next scene, but steal it in that scene. Right. Mm-hmm. But I mean, what the impetus there would be mm-hmm. to um to basically steal it, but steal it in a way that like maybe if there's a time limit um on the on the time you can give out the the tokens or whatever mm. so that like um if they st- if they look like they're doing good early and then they steal it later then right. they can come around and fuck you basically mm. so some kind of way to like basically where you're trying to trick someone into uh into giving you more tokens into giving you power yeah, to build your characters from, and that means you can increase the characters that you have control over. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it seems like the centerpiece of this game is going to have to be some kind of economy. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it's a point economy, like you were talking about, or a token economy, there's going to have to be some kind of, there's going to have to be some kind of pool, resource pool, or something that determines how many characters someone can have at once. Uh, like you said, uh, that determines their narrative control of how control they have of aiming the scene. Mm-hmm. Um, and there, and the idea, like you were talking about, being able to actually give some of that, um, whatever that currency is, to other players. Right. You know, and to give them some control in the hopes that... And the hopes like, they'll honor it, you know, they'll do it right. Right, they'll do it right, yeah. Yeah. And to have... Because I think what this... we've been, I, The more I talk about this, the more I see that there are all these possible ideas and they're all, all, all over the fucking place, you know? Mm-hmm. And the more it seems like there needs to be one good mechanical foundation you know, that we can put all of these different bits on top of. And I think that... Some kind of currency almost is the way you'd have to do it. Yeah. What we're really talking about, I think, is how much all of this stuff is a different way of how much power you have in the scene and how much your your power in the scene is valued. Right? It's all yeah. about it's about influence and it's about value, and that sounds like. M- you know, currency to me, it sounds like money. What gives you influence and what gives you value and what is, you know, valuable. It's kind of a currency. So if there was almost some kind of intellectual currency, you know, some kind of um, creative currency that was limited and that was, and if there was a pool or something you could tap in as you played, and then after that pool dried up, you have to get it from other people. Yeah. And in fact, it sounds a little like the dice pool mechanic I had for the tragedy of the commons right. dice pool that I used in that uh, yeah. epic level game that I was working yeah. on. Because it's almost the tragedy of the creative commons. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, um, yeah. if you wanted to do a token, like you know, a point system of some sort, because I'm I'm still I'm still reeling over that idea of 
whenever you add a new character, someone else gets to hijack that that character right. and can fuck up your scene. I really like that concept quite a bit. Yeah, and I, yeah. I think that could be integrated into the currency mechanic. Mm. You know, if you can't pull any more tokens from the pool, you're going to have to give some of them up, mm. maybe. Or you're going to have to trade some of them or something, and maybe a character could be part of that trade. Right. You know, basically... I'll sell you my character in exchange for some more, you know, creative currency. Yeah. Yeah, because I was thinking the options were, like, you have your currency with you. And whenever you add a a character to the scene because you want to, like, you know, make it, like, your version of what the author does. Like, I want to make this more epic. I need a random NPC to just give me a one-note line and then go the fuck away forever. But fuck, I, I that, can't afford it. <laughs> I can't afford it, and if I give yeah. it to the, and if I can't afford it, I have to give it to somebody that's not in my alliance, right, and they could right. fuck over the scene completely. But if I have a token, I can give it to somebody that is in my alliance, and they can do it right, right. in my eyes. Right. right. Or you, or even you can do it if you have the token to pay for it. You, you can, can do, do it yourself. It. Right. Exactly. So yeah, and that's what I'm saying. The to token, barter. the token yeah. pays for your for your for you to do it or for your ally to do it. And if you don't have a token, you have to you have to give it to one of the people that's not right. in your alliance because they can fuck it up the most. Right. Well, I, right. I actually think that alliances should should be almost an informal thing, meaning that alliances are a way to increase your pool of tokens. Uh-huh. So it's okay if your friend does right. it. It's okay if you trade it to your friend in exchange for tokens. That's a way to keep some level of control. But eventually, your friend's gonna run out of tokens, you know, and right. eventually you're gonna gonna be trading with someone outside if you even have an alliance you know eventually hp lovecraft is gonna have to turn to robert jordan for help but <laughs> right. you know yeah right but yeah the, the idea of having uh people have to spend tokens to act out that character i think that's really good and the only question then is how do you really integrate like unique abilities for each of the characters into play or unique uh unique abilities and unique disabilities for the characters like would there be some instances with that some things that would let people basically rob tokens from them or some things that they could do without having to spend tokens which is almost (laughs) obvious you know like if um you know, once again, using the example I've been using, Robert Jordan always gets to describe clothing and he doesn't have to pay for it. Oh, right. there could be um, like the positives and negatives. Those could be um, freebie, like the positives could be freebies that they can always include as detail. Like it right. could be like, uh, let's go with Lovecraft and his, he, he loves to describe very creepy looking things yes so what he can do at any given time whenever he whenever he was talking about his characters for free he can describe something that's kind of gross and disturbing but as a negative like one of his negatives like his personal real life negatives whenever he whenever that happens um some like i gotta understand like what what would be the exact penalty oh if somebody introduces a character that goes against his ideals, his yeah. negative ideals, or they get to if, rob a token. Right. If someone portrays a person of color positively, they right. get to rob a token from H.P. Lovecraft. Exactly. <laughs> there we go. 
That way you yeah. have those you have those initiatives, you have those incentives to fuck each other over in the narrative, mm-hmm. while also having people have their powers of like what their specialty is in their own author writing. I guess the only thing is how do you ration that? Like, how do you keep someone, like, okay, H.P. Lovecraft has a lot of Tolkien's, Tolkien's, <laughs> a lot of tokens, so, so, Tolkien spams, like, a whole bunch of positively portrayed African-American characters just into the narrative. He just drops a hundred of them just to steal as many tokens as he can from H.P. Lovecraft. What's to put a limit on that and to prevent it from totally, like, just you know, devolving into um, abusing each other whenever you get, whenever the other person has tokens. <laughs> yeah. Well, what are you thinking? I was thinking just a limit on how many times you can do it per chapter. Mm. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure if that would totally do it, though, because then everybody's just going to max their limit. And then... Right. And everyone's going to want to do it first. Right. So everyone's going to blow it up. Since it's going to be limited based on you know the character who's being disadvantaged everyone's going to want to get in that door first yeah you know, exactly so, so that's gonna so then you the beginning of the game would be basically full of characters just dissing each other and then yep. the rest of the game <laughs> i guess they'd have to deal with it well because they have, guess, the, they have the they have the option of robbing other characters as in just like stealing the character and doing how they want to do it so It'll be frantic, it'll be crazy, and it'll be yeah. all But it kinds will of be things. at the beginning, is what I'm saying. Because you want to get there before other people do. Mm-hmm. And but, then the game kind of would uh, lose some of that quality later. What I'm thinking here is everyone gets a token for the first time, and they can't steal tokens for the first chapter. Then after that, you just go crazy. Because at the very mm-hmm. beginning... Everything is ideal, and then as it progresses, everything goes to shit. Yeah, I feel like there needs to be a little bit more rationing than that, though. Personally, I feel okay. like there needs to be something, and I, I feel like there needs to be some element of strategy in how people use this. Mm-hmm. You know, so they just don't drop it at random. Yeah, so it's right. like it almost has to come at a point where it'd be appropriate in the narrative. Mm-hmm. Oh, bring right. Up one of their, you know, one of their foibles. Okay. I'm not sure how you how you um mechanically limit that, or how you mechanically designate whether or not something is appropriate in the narrative. Because every attempt I've ever seen to do that has been really dumb. <laughs> well, how about you have it set up to where, like, if we if we use the premise of the authors writing a book together. And like, you know, like fucking each other's chapters up in the in the process of, you know, doing the narration. How about we have a chapter structure, like, you know, basic writing examples of like, you know, beginning, middle and end of chapters like, uh, you know, um, teasers, things like that. Right. Like so you're have, saying make this a structural thing. Yeah, make it a structural thing where you only, like you only can steal tokens like on a twist at the end of the chapter or something like that. Oh, oh I see. Or maybe mm. each particular disadvantage can only be activated at a certain point in the narrative. Exactly. Like you could, and, and it'd be different for each one. Mm-hmm. That'd be so, interesting. 
Yeah, Rudy. No, go ahead. I was going to say that would be interesting if you could find... It would require you to have a really strong sense of how the narrative should be structured, and it would require that to be laid out manual. Like, your narrative has to have these parts, and you'd have to have a lot of different parts, and they'd have to be parts that could function in every narrative. Well, what you probably could do is certain authors have certain strong points in how they write, and you could have it where they only can activate their, you know, gotcha moment in terms of stealing someone's token when it revolves around something that they specialize in. Like, yeah. if it's something that's mundane and boring, Robert Jordan mm-hmm. can steal that that token from somebody by introducing his part of the scene. If it's oh, I like, see. Yeah, if, or if it's, like, a super twist, you know, if it's, like, a gory twist, like, you know, as in, like, instead of, like, the, like, uh, you know, the person, like, taps the person on the shoulder, the person who turns around, it's, like, a, like, a, like a Jack the Ripper-style face, like, Rah! you know, it, it, it would be H.P. Lovecraft stealing the scene to fuck over that right. author. Do, maybe do it I mean, like that, where you where you pick, like one you only there's only one method that author can steal the scene, and that's yeah. how they steal scenes. I, I agree with you there that there should only be one method, or, or one moment, or I think that's a good idea. Because I was thinking each out. author, sorry, I was thinking each author has their moment, has their own way of stealing scenes. Not that there's one scene to steal. Right. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I'm going to have to think about that. Well, but I think sure we made a lot of... Yeah, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I think the big thing is the idea that there should be some kind of... Uh, that there should be some kind of economy underlying the game. Yeah. I think that was the major breakthrough here. And that, that economy should dictate things like whether or not you can introduce a character into the scene. Yeah, and, and and things like that, and the idea that there would be bartering going on, I think, is really cool, and I think it's just uh, now fleshing out how that'll work in play. Also, mm. while we were talking, I think I finally have a title for this game. What? Unreliable, as an unreliable <laughs> unreliable narrator. narrator yeah. Yep. Yeah. So I, far, the way it's described right now, like even if like. What I my suggestions don't get into it. I like right. the way it's discussed right now. Just the idea of stealing the scenes by when because uh, every game, every story, they're they're adding new characters into the scenes that may be superfluous right. or whatever. You know that could be not you know not important. And then having other authors steal the scene by making it them actually important. Right. Yeah, I, and I like that so concept. Different ways that you can manipulate this thing. You know, yeah, someone gives you, like, a minor NPC, they barter it to you, right? And then you blow that character up into a huge thing just to fuck with them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that could get... Because there definitely has to be that social competition. I like the idea of alliances and shit for me. Yeah. You know, social competition is, like, absolutely fundamental, I think. Yeah. But yeah, and I kicked around so many different titles. I, I, Rudy and I were talking about calling it narrative control, and I thought about calling it canon. And 
there were a few other ideas I had, but I think unreliable. I thought maybe unreliable narrator, but that's kind of a mouthful. Yeah. I think just unreliable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. So it's, all that's been fleshed out pretty good. I think uh, it's yeah, we, very close to pretty much being a solid idea there. Yeah. And that yeah. title may end up describing the game's mechanics too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, Rudy. Hey, Rudy. Yeah, no, we Rudy. made some progress. But, um, yeah, so my game is Blood Libel. This is a game that I talked about. I actually talked about it on the last workshop one, I think. Did um, you? I think so. I know that you talked about Mineshaft, but maybe that was Games in Progress, not the workshop. Maybe the workshop you did talk about Blood Libel. No, no, yeah. it was, um... It was in. Uh, it's not. It wasn't in the vampire one. I think it was the playtesting one. Oh, me, yeah. No, I think it was in the vampire one. Actually. Okay. Yeah, it was in one right. of those. Yeah. Okay. But anyway, this is a game. Um, basically, it's racist cartoons mixed with uh, Pictionary drawing elements, and. Um, you know, I'll just read the intro because it's really short. Okay. In the year 50... No, I'm sorry. In the year 50,095, Nazi Germany controls the whole fucking world. There are no feeble people with disorders such as homosexuality, astigmatism, negritude, or mental retardation. Only Aryan gods bred through eugenics. They are literal gods and can do shit like magic, and their blood is magic. The gods live in cube-shaped houses because there is not a lot of space. The gods have little control over time and space. Without a steady moral compass, the world is completely relative to them, so a lot of their their furniture is on the ceiling or walls. (laughs) There aren't any Jews or other mongrel races molded in human stature or appearance. Not anymore. They are now insects and rodents due to the work of the famous Nazi eugenicist slash animal rights pioneer, <laughs> Dr. Josef Liebswartz. He turned every Jew, black person, Asiatic, and miscellaneous racial cretin into common household pests using a science called the Liebswartz method. Mm. Some believe he was a kindly man who did this to save them from extermination. You are one of these pests. You are dwelling in the domicile of an Aryan god who works nine to five, maybe, and comes home really pissed. You need blood to sustain your interests and further your pest race. Go get the blood from infants if you have to. Yeah, so, basically, um, this is a vampire game, Mm -hmm. but more than that, it's basically about cartoonish racism like uh, looney tunes racism literally like like literally looney tunes but what what i like the example i like to use is fritz the cat style shit where it's like it's just so over the top that it's like fucking ridiculous Hmm. and um yeah but basically the main components of this are Basically, there's a Pictionary-like mechanic where you draw something, you can draw parts of the scene out, and then um, other people interpret that, and that's what happened, sort of. So I'm going to ask you the Shigeru Miyamoto question now. What's fun about this? (laughs) 
Well, basically, the I think the drawing component it was the most fun when I played it. Um, but what's fun about the concept, or what's supposed to be fun about the concept? Because I can see people looking at that concept and saying, "Whoa!" Yeah. Like more so maybe even than some of your other games, saying, "Whoa, guys, what?" No, basically, this is this is just pure blackface fun with racism. <laughs> that's what it is. It's it's really nothing else. It's basically you get to behave like a complete asshole for a couple hours or so. And uh, you get to do all kinds of cartoonish shit. And I don't want to say that it's... Um, that it really has an agenda like it's, you know... Like it's showing how bad racism is because it's really not. That's really not the point. The, the point really is... Well, I guess the point is to show how, like, almost ridiculous some, like, racial stereotypes and stuff are. Right. But, um, yeah, I guess the fun would primarily come from playing caricatures right. of people. And it seems like the ridiculousness is on both sides of that. You know, how ridiculous the Nazis' representations right. of other races were, but also how ridiculous the Nazis' representations of themselves are. Because exactly. there are no people left in this setting. There are... Aryan gods, and then there are literal mongrels, you know? Right, right. <laughs> and so, really, all the humanity has been drained out of this, and all the reality has been drained out of this, and you're left with a goofy Looney Tunes thing where, like, <laughs> you know, the furniture is literally on the ceiling. Yeah, no, it's it's goofy shit. Right. But, um... Alright, yeah, so, so what what are the people, like, what are the characters, you know, the players doing in the game? that will actually encourage him to want to do it? Um, well, I guess basically there is a, there's a Pictionary mechanic, like I said, but there's an economy of blood, which is one of the problems that I'll get to. Okay. But there's, a, there's an economy of blood that you have, and basically you can spend blood to draw a picture of something, like, it based to resolve conflicts. And, um... As your character, you're basically playing some sort of caricature of an animal mixed with a human-type deal. Some human stereotype, racist stereotype. Mm -hmm. um, as far as uh, what people do in the game, it basically... I want the game to feel very episodic and not, mm -hmm. really, not really tied together so much. I mean... You could potentially have a campaign or something for it, but I think it, the main strength of it would be in, you know, one-shot, single-session type shit. Characters are really easy to make, and, um, you know, you want to be able to create characters really quickly. Mm -hmm. um, All as right. As far... Yeah. Um, basically, what I was thinking right off the bat is I don't know how... Um, do you want anyone to try and do serious face? No, absolutely not. Never. So, no. what I'm saying is, do you want um, do you want this to be all in house, or do you want people to break the fourth wall? No. How do you mean that? Well, breaking the fourth wall is letting the the audience know that you're aware of what's going on, and all right. a lot of games are um, don't break the fourth wall. Immersion, immersion, immersion. So, oh, I, I think I see what you're saying. 
Um, so, do you want people to break the fourth wall to let people know that this is a game? Uh, yeah. I mean, there, the narrative really would be structured similar to a cartoon. So, I mean, right. in cartoons, there's always shit like, you know, yeah. Bugs Bunny turns to the audience and right, says and he this looks and, at the camera. Yeah, that's right, exactly that. what I wanted to know because okay, I'm thinking, yeah. I'm thinking yeah, full yeah, on Looney Tunes. Right, and that's exactly what I was saying, is Looney Tunes and that kind of shit. But basically, um, what drives play, kind of, is you're supposed to collect blood. It's it's a cooperative kind of game, so basically your characters are working together to do something. Is there a GM? There is a GM. Okay. Um, but it's a cooperative type experience, and um, basically... Um, yeah, you're not really competing against the, the other players at all. It's really, really, it's just everybody kind of pulls it together to make one goofy, crazy narrative out of it. But what's driving play is actually getting blood to spend on, uh, on conflict resolution. Okay. Because, uh, and the way that's done now, I'm not really too happy with it because right now basically it's a role when you encounter an Aryan mm. you can you can roll to steal their blood and basically that's that and you, it tells you how much blood you steal and uh, if you get hurt stealing it that kind of shit and the other thing I'm not really happy with and this ties into the resolution system you know the, the non-pictionary resolution part of the resolution system is that Basically, it doesn't feel tied enough to mechanically to the Pictionary stuff. Basically, mm. it's just rolling. It's rolling dice. You, you roll dice. You, you have a standard kind of D&D dice rolling type deal for part of the game. And then when you really need it, you take out the big guns of the drawing stuff. Mm. And you're supposed to kind of ration that. But I feel that if um if people i feel it really people shouldn't should be able to ration it in a different way as opposed to just you know having to either roll or do it you know that it does right. because it, it seems like the most fun element of the game is the pictionary shit right and having to ration the fun isn't always a great thing isn't good yeah mm. i mean but there at the same time there has to be some kind of you know, economy mechanic right. because you want you want people to be afraid of you know running out of blood. Right. Yeah. And if you run out of blood, you basically like become an animal. So. All right. So how do um. Like um, what kind of physics are you trying to do with this game? Like, is there, like, is there like um, basically, if somebody punches you, can you bleed? Like, you know, that kind of thing, or is it like full-on cartoon? I call it cartoon logic, basically. That's the best way to describe it. As in if an, if an anvil dropped on a character, but they still had a yep. life at the end of it, will they still live? Yeah, if an anvil drops on them, then they're flattened for a while, and then you pick them back up and shake them out, and they're good. Okay, good, because that this can make it this can make it a lot easier in terms of doing what you're, what you're trying to ask here. Because I agree, mm -hmm. doing dice is kind of, especially since this is a very yeah. animated game, Mm, uh, right. You really don't want to have that kind of thing happen. But what I was right. thinking here is, every character picks a bag has a bag of tricks. Mm -hmm. 
and it could be a literal bag that has like items in there or it could be like um like things that they normally do for their caricature um and every time they use it something you know they that's how they get their blood in the in the in the, in the scene so oh, like it's so like for example uh wily e. coyote if someone picked him um and he said he he got it out his bag of tricks and one of his bat and one of his tricks was the um was the rocket propelled boots that would be right. worth a few amount of blood points in the scene and the only thing that will make it a little, like well how would you how did you determine gm uh involvement in terms of the roll-off um well the gm basically it was it was a single roll by the made by the players yeah and you roll it's a you roll fudge dice and if mm-hmm. you get um if you get a certain number of pluses, then you you have a list of things that you can pick that you can do. Okay, so so let's... it was it was like GM doesn't roll type deal, okay. which actually caused some problems in play because it was kind of difficult to throw obstacles at players sometimes because you weren't sure like what the consequences would necessarily be of everything. Yeah, but um. Yeah, I like the bag of tricks idea. The only thing is, really what I think is important is the idea that they generate the cartoon, you know, stuff from the blood. Because that's central to the kind of core right. of the game. That's its blood libel. It's basically, you know, they're, they, they're generating it from the blood that they have to steal from the area. So... I'm not sure. Well, how would you uh, go? What conflicts are solved? Like, what style of conflicts are solved when you gather the blood? Um, it can be like, let's say, a, let's say, like a cat is chasing you or something. You're mm-hmm. a, you're a mouse. Um, you know, you could draw like a hole in the wall or something and run through it. Okay. All right. Well, or like, next... ba- go ahead. Say that. Yeah, the piece. Well, but basically, it would be interpreted by the GM. So, like, you would draw, like, you, it, it, it's partially how well you draw it, but it's also partially, like, how open the interpretation, how open you leave it to interpretation. Because you want things sort of open, but you want it to be close enough to what you wanted to communicate so that you actually do that. Because, like, the GM, like, you might, you might draw something and the GM might interpret it completely different. And then you could be fucked into, you know, basically another conflict. All right. Well, what I was thinking here is bag of tricks, because if we're going to go full on Looney Tunes on this, like, you know, that, yeah. that kind of style, I'm thinking like Tom and Jerry, where, you know, yeah, exactly. where Jerry has his bag of tricks of how he resolves things. And then when mm-hmm. something serious happens, he uses all the momentum that he used from his bag of tricks to paint out the thing that solves the problem for him, like the major problem. Like as in he, he goes with his bag of tricks and he uses the, um, you know, tying the nail, his, the, the Tom's tail into a knot. And like, you know, that would be his attack, his bag of tricks. And his bag of tricks is worth so many points. Like it's just a generic attack that's worth some, some points. And then over time... 
Go ahead. So many blood points, you mean? Or... Exactly. Where it's just a limited amount of blood points, no fudge dice rolls. Right, yeah. I definitely want to get rid of the roll. Yeah. Hey, Rudy, have what? you read Tune at all? Yeah. The old yeah, Steve, Steve Jackson, Jackson games? Old... Yeah. Yep. Did that give you any inspiration? Not a whole lot, although I did steal the rule that uh, if you make the GM laugh, you can add a feature to the scene. Oh, okay. I totally stole that. But, uh, no, I didn't tune, I mean, it really wasn't different enough from standard D&D stuff. Right, Alright, so what I was getting at there with the bag of tricks is you have, you you write down a preset list of things that are tied to, like, you know, the racist aspect of your character, like Pepe Le Pew. He would have his, he would have a stench, he would have his, um... Like oppressive charm of like you know of a adulterer you know all that kind of stuff, right? And, and like every every time you wanted to gather blood, you would have to use one of his bag of tricks, and mm. in order to gain it. But of course, there needs to be something in between that to prevent the player from using the same trick over and over again that has the highest amount of points. But that's a whole right. other subject. That's that's a different subject entirely. But what I was saying is have it where they have a set of tricks that they can use to gain blood, and then they gain when they when they they use that the blood that was left over, because it doesn't have to be literal blood, does it? Or does it have to be like suggest? So it could be like interpreted any way you wanted. Well, it has to be blood that they drink from the area, so it really is like literal blood. <laughs> All right. Well, that that makes it very difficult, um, because uh, you know blood could be interpreted as as like life force, as in like you know the vitality yeah. of somebody. So that's why yeah. I was I was thinking more along the vitality, as in like when you did your trick, that invigorated mm. you, to be able to you know you know use your powers to do something else, like to, like this like like you said like escape from the cat by by uh, using a hammer and hitting him on the foot that gave you enough excitement enough like reason to want to keep living, that uh, mm. you used the blood libel paint job to make that hole, when the cat starts chasing you. Now, yeah, I... yeah oh, what were you going to say, Ray? No, go ahead. I was going to say, now, how do you ration the blood right now? I mean, is blood time? Is that the idea? It's time. time draw? It's drawing time, yeah. Hmm. Right now, and um, basically you can lose blood when you're injured. You know, like if you, if you roll so many minuses on the fudge dice, then the GM can make you lose blood. Okay. Um... But you want the fudge dice totally out of the game. I want the dice to go, basically. You want a way to make the game so it's really anchored in that Pictionary mechanic, then. Right. But you can't lose the blood because that's a fundamental part of the concept. Exactly. Because it wouldn't be blood libel if you weren't stealing blood, blood for your magic. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I was just trying to get the uh, problem nailed down here. Yeah, I'm still hooked on bag of tricks. I I like that idea where you have a certain number of abilities you can use, and some of them will gain you blood, and some of them will lose you blood. And you only like the only thing that's that'll be difficult is choosing like how to stop people from just picking the best one all the time. Mm. But other than that, yeah. I I like the idea. It's it's a permanent thing that you know uh it, it doesn't revolve dice rolls. Right. Um, 
as far as a bag of tricks, I think I, I do like that idea sort of because I think it can be tied into the caricature thing. Like, you know, each race has their own kind of, you know, bag of tricks. <laughs> you know, well, you, I mean, obviously you make it up as a player. But right now, you, the character creation involves um, making up facts about your animal type and a fact about your race. And um, basically, the GM can use that kind of like a compel, like in Fate. And it, but if you use them, then you get some bonus. So I kind of want to integrate that, too. Okay. So I, like, I like the idea of a bag of tricks that's somehow tied to the caricature stuff well why don't you use both like combine both yeah. the tricks and like the facts and oh, yeah. like if they use like a like, if they use a trick that doesn't like adhere to like or like if they use a trick to do something that doesn't adhere uh, with their character facts like it could yeah. be a negative instead of a positive or things like that hmm. Hmm. so you, your facts are used basically to force your character to do things they wouldn't want to do. Right. I wonder if the amount of blood that you have left could be tied to that. Tied to the uh, fats? Yeah, tied to the ability of the GM, the Aryan, to compel your character to indulge in their ugly behaviors. Like, if the more oh, blood right. you have left, the less possibility they have to do that to you. Right. And, I mean, that would encourage people to ration their blood in the Pictionary thing, because it, the more they use of it, the more the uh, GM, the more agency the GM has over you. The more the GM gets to tell you how you play the game. Exactly, yeah. But that, that would be a way to get people to ration it so that they don't just blow through their blood and, you know, they don't just use a whole bunch of blood in every scene. Right, exactly. Or may, uh, and in fact, maybe if instead of having a blood pool that ran down to zero, mm. it actually count in some way counts up in negative numbers. By which I mean, um, you know, you're not headed toward you're not headed from one hundred percent to zero percent, and then you're right. fucked. You you're headed. Um, you're headed to greater and greater degrees of fuck the more you use it. Hmm. So that way it's not like I have a limited amount of blood that I can use. I can only use the Pictionary mechanic this many times. Right. It's, I can use the Pictionary mechanic as many times as I want to, but every right. time I use it, I'm granting the GM just a little more agency over my character. I'm allowing him to make my character do just one more terrible thing that he couldn't do before. Oh, I see. Yeah, that... That actually sounds like it could work. And that way you don't need to. That way you don't need to roll dice to steal blood necessarily. But if there was some way to, um, and in fact, in that way, you don't really need. The game doesn't need to be about stealing blood so much as using it. Right. I mean, you can presume that you have access to it, and it's the act of indulging in using, you know, using the blood of infants that makes you more and more your caricature. Using the using the blood of you know you've stolen from Aryan children because the more you do that the more you become everything the Aryans want you want to believe that you are right so you don't really so I'm not sure why you would need to resolve the theft of it it's well, really see, the, the yeah. theft is kind of important because that it basically sets up the 
you know, the cartoon action oh, hour yeah. and shit. Okay. That's why you have the theft. And it also allows for more interaction with the Aryans. Right. Well, what if, what if, instead of having it that each session is trying to commit the theft, mm. if it opened with the theft, right, and that so you open with the character stealing the blood, and then the session is actually the chase that follows. You know, right. it opens with you stealing it and being found by the Aryan, and then the rest of the session is the Aryan chasing you around the house to try to get it back. Right, yeah, see, that that's very cartoony. I like that. And that's usually how it works, right? It's not so much that the whole session is about Jerry trying to steal a muffin off the counter or something. It's about he gets a muffin, and then Tom wants to get him and get the muffin back. Right, exactly. Yeah, and even if he gets his muffin back, he's still on a vengeful streak and says, I'm going to keep that fucking cat in that mouse. (laughs) And then, so you get the vial of blood at the beginning, Mm -hmm. and the more you drink, and the more you have to drink from it and play, the more agency you give the GM over your character. Yeah, I like that idea. Um... Well, I mean, you can combine the two ideas and, um, like, you know, like the whole bag of tricks thing and go base it off the, uh, you know, the character facts for their uh, minority. And Right. I, that's what I was talking about. I definitely want to do that. You can use that as a method of how much blood they get from the start. And then when you that's what they do in order to steal the blood. So that way you have some uh, colorful creations with the... Um, with the narrative at the beginning. I know right. I said that on purpose. Um, <laughs> Colorful. <laughs> and then the chasing happens. And then like what Will said, that's how everything goes. You don't gain blood further after that. It's just, it's you losing blood as you try to make your escape. And maybe if you use something from your bag of trip tricks or from your racial abilities or whatever you're ultimately going to call them, you don't have to spend blood to do it. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, without any further details, I think that's like the most I can I can really talk about, um, like how to like you know, get the dice out of the way. But overall, those two things are very easy yeah. ways to remove the dice, where they're permanent yeah. things that don't really require that much variables. Right. Right. Yeah, I definitely like both of those ideas a lot. Yeah. Plus, they actually work in tune to what you wanted to do. You wanted to make a cartoony. That's full on cartoon right there. Right. Exactly. I guess the other problem I was having is basically how to uh, mechanically enforce, well, it mechanically reinforce the idea that it's supposed to be like Looney Tunes type uh, shit. Yes. As opposed to, like, you know, you're drawing some racist pictures on a piece of paper. And, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, that's true. And that's something that was kind of missing from when I saw the gameplay. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't totally... And then one I saw was a really early version of this that didn't have a lot of what it has now. I guess it wasn't totally missing, though, because you had people, like, drawing rocket ships, and, like, it was right. getting really goofy the longer it went on. Right. Um, and UFOs and alien abductions and people Maybe. getting stuck in the black holes. But, yeah. 
maybe having uh, personal goals and if they complete the goal they win their version and like you know it, the game continues on with the other people as in like you know Jerry's goal is to take the you know the muffin and to escape and be done and Tom is always going to try and chase him and Jerry wins by getting the muffin into his his, his mouse hole because Jerry you know because Tom can't get to him that way you have an end game and people it'll be easy for they'll be more inclined to want to get to that end game what you need and this kind of builds off of the bag of tricks thing that alex mentioned before but what you need to really make it looney tunes is props oh yeah i mean that's what really differentiates a looney Tunes style of cartoon action from just like goofing around yeah because there's always the moment moment where they take out their acme device and activate it and something exactly happens yeah now how to get that in the i mean there should almost be like like some kind of like aryan defense manufacturer who's the equivalent of like weapons manufacturer who's the equivalent of acme yeah, and Aryans exactly. should have their shit all over the house, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and, like, ridiculous shit, like using atomic bombs to, like, power <laughs> yeah. your television set or something. Yeah, exactly. like, and that should somehow be something you can integrate into play. Right. Or, Actually, like... Think... Oh, yeah. sorry. Well, well, you can, um... Like, what was a very popular, um group for like the the germans of like something that they uh, did because i know there was the the ss people you know the triple s yeah and actually that's something i forgot to mention the ss is basically like terminex in this setting <laughs> so they basically and there's some element of like that that's why the interaction with the Aryans is important because there's some element of like well if you fuck around too much then they'll call the ss and you'll have to deal oh, with that yeah. new problem well, what I was getting at for the um, for the equipment stuff is uh, you should pick a group that was popular during you know the uh, the whole Nazism and have that be the um, the equipment they grab. Yeah. Like instead yeah, of Ac- to... instead of Acme, it'd be it'd be Nazi. Right. Yeah. <laughs> what was the name of the division that was working on their rockets, the V twos or whatever the fuck they were? Oh, I don't know. The Wonder Weapon something? I don't know. There's a German word for that, whatever it is. But anyway, they should also have, like, goofy, like, Nordic occult technology and shit. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, your lights are powered by the Ark of the Covenant. (laughs) Whatever. (laughs) Yeah, no. Um, I, I, but I I don't I think that somehow there need the Nazis need to be able to use technology in a goofy funny way, and mm. the and the um the the animals, the vermin or whatever you're gonna call them need to be able to subvert that. Right. Like use their own technology against them. Right. Hmm. Yeah, see, I like the idea of, like, 
I almost like the idea of them setting up traps to catch the yeah. you know, mice, and that reflected some way mechanically. Maybe if um, if you have kind of like a draw, yeah, where like you they they draw something, and then one of the players and who's not involved in the conflict maybe interprets it, and then you draw something you, to add on to that. Right. To subvert it, kind of. Right. Wait a minute. I think I got Mm -hmm. something. Okay. When it comes to the drawings and traps, Mm -hmm. players can draw traps on the board, and anything that they draw on the board to, like, solve their answer does not get erased. And people have to draw on top of it or around it. Like, there's a certain limit of the board and mm-hmm. they can draw whatever they want for those number of seconds or whatever that they choose to to make their answer, but it stays right. on it stays on that board forever. And if people act, if people uh. draw stuff, they because they have to like you know they might have to make a bigger picture. If they draw things that are around, that are really close to whatever that person drew, it it, right. it start it signals a trap. This reminds me of Incadia. Uh-huh. Oh yeah, Incadia. Yeah. But yeah, I like that idea because it, for one, it lets you have something permanent after the game. That's <laughs> mm. basically, you know. Um. Hmm. Yeah, maybe if you were almost drawing the layout of the house as you play. Right. Like that, because then that really gets that Looney Tunes thing because there's always this sense that the environment is very important. Right. But is also, in some ways, in flux. Like, there right. are some things that are definitely concrete, but there are some parts of the environment that are changed totally at the animator's will, you know, in order to deliver the punchline they need to deliver. Right, exactly. But, yeah, something like that, where there's, like, a background already painted, like, maybe during the creation of the world... Where there's a background already created, and then people can fuck with it and set traps that hmm. way. Like, as they're drawing their solutions, they can draw traps in the middle of it. Hmm. See, I kind of like that. The idea of creating a, you know, some kind of work beforehand, mm-hmm. and then you draw onto that. Yeah. Because that also lets you flesh out, you know, the setting and the, the house and all that shit. And it yeah. gives you a good sense of, like, where everything, you know, like, it gives a GM a good sense of, like, where they can set obstacles and shit. Right. Which was kind of a problem in one of the playtests. Um, Well, what else is there to uh, discuss on that one? Because I don't see much, like, right now that, like, it pretty much needs, like, a part two after some thinking to see, like, what else can be discussed. Yeah. I think that's pretty much most of my concerns. Mostly just wanted to get the dice out of there. Because, yeah, right now, um, it looks like the dice are out of the way, and... Mm. Just from your explanation of how the game works, this seems a lot more fun than what was going on originally. Right. A lot, a lot more wackiness. I mean, not, 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 not right. necessarily that your game was boring, but there's a lot more like hijinks in there. Yeah. That I really like. 
Yeah, hijinks are important. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so that was... This has been, what, two hours? Yeah, something like that. <laughs> it's been something. It's been rather long protracted podcast hopefully we can cut it down small enough that it will fit as one file on 64 there we go we're done yeah all right so um this has been another episode of mom's basement podcast now everyone's tired and wants to go to bed (laughs) all right um so i hope you enjoyed our discussion of the conversations there if you have any ideas you want to contribute to the game itself as well go ahead and leave us a comment um if you yeah, throw inspired, them out there yeah if you are inspired by anything you know let us know and we'll help you as well we have the prototype forums for our yes i was gonna where we, we can continue the conversation there we'll yeah. the website and give us some more detail about that one yeah where we can have a conversation like this a long, rambling, boring conversation about your game. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if you go to miserytourism.com backslash forum, uh, I mentioned this a couple of episodes ago, but it's a it's a prototype forum. Nobody is really there yet, but the idea is to set up... A, we talked a few episodes ago. I'm rambling because I'm tired, so whatever. <laughs> but... A few episodes ago, in the Back to the Forge episode, we talked about what we'd like to see in a game design community. And then we said, well, what the fuck? It doesn't cost us anything. We have web space. It takes an hour to install simple machines on there. Why don't we make that community? So that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to make a community where people work together to help each other refine their ideas, polish their drafts, and yes, play tests or games and get it from idea to reality or whatever step on that continuum you are on. Help Not you... to be confused with designer versus reality. No, which... Not to be confused <laughs> with that at all. Poor Dan. Poor Dan. He's dead. But anyway... Um, shit. So anyway, it's miserytourism.com backslash forum. The link is up there. On the mom's basement blog, too. Ugh. Misery tourism is one word. <laughs> yeah. All right. Okay. A yawning aside, I think it's time to put this to sleep. Unplug yeah. the mic. Yeah, fuck the mic. Come on. All right, bye. Bye-bye.